Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 13, verses 26 through 41. In chapter 13, we have already read the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. It is broken down into three parts. The preparation, which is verses 16 through 25, which is a broad overview of the history of Israel that culminated in the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the topic of my last teaching. The second part of Paul's sermon is the Declaration, verses 26 through 37. And the last part of his sermon is the Application portion, verses 38 through 41. We will cover parts 2 and 3 in our lesson today. So let's begin. I will read uh, chap Acts chapter 13, verses 26 through 41. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and to those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But... He whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Well, we started our study today with reading verse 26 because it delivers the very heart of the message. Paul said, to you, the word of this salvation has been sent. 
that was true for those listening in Paul's day, and that is true for you and I today. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world were laid, God knew all about you and me. He named us by name. He knew us by name, and he loved us. Let's read that wonderful truth. It, it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, which reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And just as he knew us, and loved us. He also purposed to send Jesus, the Redeemer, to deliver us from sin. This truth was first revealed to us in the promise God made just after Adam and Eve first sinned. That is because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and be born again a spiritual birth, that we might be sons and daughters of God. But that promise is only fulfilled through receiving the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, from the beginning, God planned to send to earth a Savior to redeem us and give to us the promised gift of everlasting life. As the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And again it says in Ephesians 2, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, 
who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Well, Paul continued his message by recounting the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul points out that even though God had sent his promised Messiah, the one of whom the prophets foretold, the religious and political rulers of the day did not know him, even though they made a practice of reading the words of the prophets every day. Let's read that again. Acts chapter 13, verses 27 through 29. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Don't you find it interesting that when Jesus was born, when Herod asked the chief priests and scribes where the Messiah was to be born, oh, they immediately responded, Bethlehem. They knew the prophecies that pertained to Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. But when he came, you know, he fulfilled more than 300 Old Testament prophecies when he came the first time. They should have known but they refused to see. And as a result, they demanded that Pilate ordered that Jesus was to be put to death. And please observe this, that this also was in fulfillment of the prophecy found in Psalm 22, which so graphically foretells the agonies of his death upon the cross generations before death by crucifixion was ever invented by the Romans. Let's read from that passage in Psalm 22, beginning with verse 12 through 19. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water in all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me. O oh, my strength, hasten to help me. And so Paul continued his teaching by saying in verse 29 that when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. End quote. Every part of his crucifixion was prophesied. Even the fact that he would be buried in a borrowed tomb. They should have known. But they stubbornly refused to see the fact that God the Son was in their midst. So they crucified him. It's astounding. They crucified the Lord of glory. And in so doing, God accomplished the greater work of purchasing our salvation through the blood of the sinless one that was shed on the cross that day. Please know and understand, my friend, that because the purchase price to redeem us from sin and death was paid in full, God then raised Jesus from the dead. Yes. Verse 29 boldly proclaims, but God raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Aren't you so glad that he did? Because now we serve a risen savior I'm reminded of that glorious passage in Isaiah 9, 6, which made the following prophetic proclamation, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It was true and it is true. And one day, Jesus will return to establish his eternal kingdom just as it is written. And then this prophecy will be completely fulfilled just as God said. Well, getting back to our passage, verse 30 begins with a phrase, but God. In response to this, let me say that I really like the observation that Dr. Ironside makes regarding this phrase that we 
find so often in scripture. He writes, have you ever noticed how frequently in scripture you get those two words in juxtaposition, but God? You will remember in the epistle to the Romans, after Paul wrote of man's lost and sinful condition, he said, but God. And then you go on to read what God has done. Men nailed him to a tree, friends, laid him in Joseph's new tomb, but God, by his omnipotent power, raised him from the dead. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 31, he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. Remember, when Paul uttered these words, there were scores of those living who had actually seen the Lord Jesus Christ in resurrection glory and could give testimony concerning this thing. It was not done in a corner, but it was something borne witness to by a vast number of people. And because Paul was also an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, he spoke to the people in, in Pisidia with authority. He confirmed his testimony by quoting three Old Testament prophecies, which affirmed that God would would raise his son from the dead. The first quote comes from Psalm 2, 7. The second from Isaiah 55, 3. And the third from Psalm 16, 10. Let's read this passage again, beginning with verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. By emphasizing that resurrection of Jesus, Paul is confirming not only the fulfillment of prophecy, but also the uniqueness of Christ. He pointed out that David, though he too had served God, he eventually died, was buried, and he still remained buried in the tomb in Jerusalem. But Jesus is alive confirmed by the empty tomb and by the many eyewitnesses. These things are proof that he is alive and lives forevermore. Warren Wearsby adds this thought. God had promised David that from him the Messiah would come. This was an everlasting covenant with a throne to be established forever. If Jesus is the Messiah and he died and remained dead, this covenant could never be fulfilled. Therefore, Jesus had to be raised from the dead or the covenant would prove false. The eternal throne did not find fulfillment in David, but 
it did find fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. And in him, there is an eternal king and an eternal kingdom who will reign forever. So there you have it. Paul presented to his audience the gospel message, following the same pattern that he would later relate in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4, namely that Jesus came, lived among us, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead for our justification. And as Dr. Ironside so correctly observes, so that is the gospel message. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses can only condemn. We cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. But the gospel of the grace of God tells us that he who never violated that law, God's own blessed son, went to Calvary's cross and bore the judgment of the law and was made a curse for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And when we trust him, we stand before God cleared of every charge in him. This is justification. Oh, how wonderful God is. Well, Paul concludes his sermon with a sobering warning that we really must pay careful attention to. He quotes from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk 1.5, in which he, he, he says, Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. That quote is quoting words that God said to the prophet Habakkuk back in the day before the Babylonian captivity. And what God was saying to Israel in Habakkuk's day is that because of their refusal to believe, he was going to send a pagan nation to punish them. And he did. And it was terrible for them. There was great suffering and loss of life. And then the nation of Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years before God would let them slowly begin to return to their homeland, though it was no longer under their control. So, this is also a warning to all those who like the Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, scribes, elders, and all those who had a knowledge of the word but who rejected the word of God when Jesus came, if we ignore the testimony of Jesus, if we too reject the word of God and the promise of God, that free gift of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ, then the end result will also be terrible.
It's not what God desires. But it is in response to our choices. I'm reminded of the sobering words found in John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36. He who comes from above, that's speaking of Jesus, is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he, Jesus, has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Did you notice verse 35? It says, The Father loves the Son. God, our Heavenly Father, loves Jesus, His Son. How do you think the God the Father should respond to those who reject His beloved Son? How would you respond if someone utterly rejected your beloved child or mother or father or your loved one, scorning their words, despising the gifts that were freely given, turning away from the offer of unconditional love. How would you respond? Again, God is not willing that any should perish. That is why he sent Jesus. That is why he went to such great extremes, even death on the cross just to redeem us even though we have so greatly sinned against him. Yes, God is love. Never doubt that. His love is evidenced on the cross. But God is also holy. And one day, his holiness will require justice for those who stubbornly refused every offer of love, forgiveness, and salvation through his Son. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl, will come to the Father, can come to the Father, except through me. The only way we can come into his into God's holy presence is through Jesus Christ through the blood that was shed there is no other way you cannot earn the privilege and you cannot clean clean up your life enough to enter his holy presence why because we all are born spiritually dead. We must be born again, born of the Spirit, a spiritual rebirth. 
And again, that only happens through Jesus. As Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life for God did, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Are you born again? Have you received the wonderful gift of forgiveness of sin and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? It is free to you, but it cost him everything. Will you receive that gift? You can do that today. You simply ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to become your Lord and Savior. If you ask, he will save you, he will forgive you, and he will make you his own dear child. This gift is yours for the asking. Please don't wait. Do it today, my friend. Do it today and rejoice. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your great love and your great mercy. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we can experience that forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of life life eternal life in your presence that we that there's coming a day when we will see you face to face we will our eyes will look upon the one that we love oh lord god i just pray that your word will go forth with power and authority and that you will speak to every person that is listening Speak your word of truth to them. Save those who, who cry out to you and deepen the faith of those who know you. Refresh and renew our spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com and I will be careful to respond. Well, until next time, my friend, may God continue to bless you by his spirit and through his word. Continue to seek him daily and he will help you.